I, I made a note while Terry was speaking, something, I thought, hey, this would make a, a good lead-in. You know, he's talking about meat in due season and meat sacrifice to idols. In Matthew 4, 4, it tells us that Christ uh, says that we don't live by bread only, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And in John 1, we find that Christ is the word of God. So in effect, it's telling us that we have to live by Jesus Christ, doesn't it? Because he is the meat. Turn to John 6. John 6. This is still part of the lead-in. My wife and I have been uh, doing a lot of research and studying on Passover and the way things go. And here in John 6 and verse 26, John 6, 26, Jesus answered them and said, Verily I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the miracle, but be, because you did eat the loaves and were filled. So here's a group of people that wanted to be with Christ because he fed them. You know, hey, that's a great thing. You go out there and you get a free meal. Especially if you're a bachelor, you know, I come in here. A free meal is worthwhile. So here they came because of that. And he says in verse 27, Labor not for the meat which perishes, but for the meat which endures unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give you, for him has God the Father sealed. So again, it's pointing out that Christ is what we have to live by. Verse 28, Then they said to him, What shall we do what, that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe on him who he has sent. We're to believe on Jesus Christ. That's our responsibility. And they said unto, uh, therefore unto him, What sign uh, show you then that we may see and believe you? What do, does you work? The father did eat manna in the desert. As is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Verily I say to you, Moses gave you not the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is uh, he which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So the bread that we're to eat is Jesus Christ. It goes through that very pointedly. I thought that was interesting. It helped me to think about that, how important it is, and how much I am following and obeying and living by what's in here. Christ is the bread. He's what keeps us alive. In opening to the sermon, I want to tell you a story about a man. His name is Lewis Mountbatten. Now, many of you know him or know of him because he happens to be the husband of the Queen of England, Lewis Mountbatten. When he was a young man, and he was a naval officer in the Second World War, he was assigned to a ship called the Kelly, and he took it out four distinctly different times. Each time, the ship was either hit by a landmine on one time, and he limped it back in. He didn't give it up. A few days later, they took it out and was hit by a torpedo and brought it back in and he limped it in. Another time they were out there and storm hit and almost sank the ship. It knocked the power out, but they spent the time getting the ship back in. Many times people would take that as, hey, 
this is my lot in life. I mean, every time I take this ship out, it gets destroyed. But he didn't give up, did he? He went out a third time. This time he took the Kelly and went down into the Mediterranean. At this time, the German officers or German army had taken over the Isle of Crete. And they had massive guns over there that would reach farther than what the British Navy uh, guns could reach. And they were pounding the ships, and they had, and the British wanted to land on Crete and take it back. Mountbatten commanded his men to continue going forward. And they knew their job was to knock those guns out so that they could get a landing party in. And so they went in, and they got closer and closer. In the meantime, the German army, the Luftwaffe, was bombing them. Most of the bombs missed. Finally, one did hit. And as the ship was teetering, about to go under, Mountbatten said, don't stop fighting. Keep the guns going. Now, this man was committed to doing the job. He wasn't giving up. Finally, the ship sank, and they spent hours swimming, waiting to be rescued. German army shooting at them, you know, from planes and bombing them. They were rescued. But this time, most of us would say, I've had it with this mess. I ain't going to go on. I mean, they're trying to get rid of me. But not Mountbatten. He became the head of a commando unit. Not only did he become the head of a commando unit, but he went through the same training that those men went through. Very rigorous. Like the special forces or the SEALs would go through. And he not only went through that, but he believed that if you did your job right, and he was committed to doing it, that you would succeed. And so after every raid, he would go over all the mistakes so that they wouldn't create another mistake. When it gets down to us, brethren, what does God require of us? What is God looking for in you and me? Is he looking for us to be willing to give up and fall short? My youngest son-in-law was in the army. He wanted to be part of the Green Berets, or Red Berets, which it was at the time. And he tried several times, and the last time he was out trying to become part of that Green Beret unit, they had 50 positions. 300 men were trying for 50 positions. It's very rigorous. It's very difficult. And a person who was compliant with the law just didn't make it, did he? You had to be completely committed to getting to that position because only 50. Just like us, God called many people. And many people were compliant with what God had said. We kept the feast. We kept the holy days. We were out there, weren't we? We the Sabbath. We sit in their seats. We were there every Sabbath. We get to the point where we are compliant with the law. But what happened to over 50% of the church? Who kept the face? Who were sitting side by side with us in Sabbath services? Who served on different things? Um, like us in Fort Myers, we had ball tournaments, and they served there, and we had... Uh, yard sales and they were there they were complying with what was brought to them but were they committed 
did they really find that what they were doing was what they wanted to do? Sometimes we, we struggle these things. We stay in church because we feel that if we don't, we're not going to go to a place of safety. And what does that tell us? He that seeks to save his life will lose it. And he that loses his life, when you're committed, will save it. Christ gave us an example of that. Matthew 26. Matthew 26. Christ was committed. He knew from the very beginning what he had to do. So he was compliant. He knew that sometime in the future, God would be a, was going to take and make humanity God's. So he knew he had to give up eternal life, which he did. He knew that somewhere down the line he would have to do a lot of other things. But here in Matthew 26 is where they had already gone through the Passover service. He told them, I am the bread of life. He said, you have to eat of my body. You have to drink of my blood. And here he goes and says, and they, they leave, they, they go out to the garden. And uh, let's see, I want to go to verse 36. Then came Jesus with them to a place called Gethsemane and said unto them, to his disciples, sit here while I go and pray yonder. He says, oh, sit here, be with me while I go out and pray. Then, let's see, and he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. I mean, he realized what was coming on the line to him. He knew it was very important and it was very heavy for him. Then he said unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful. Well, don't you think yourself, if I was going to go out there and have to sacrifice my life for everybody, would you be sorrowful? Would it be heavy on you? I can remember a friend of mine, 35 years old. He was dying. And he was very sorrowful. He was hoping and praying that God would intervene. But he knew his time was coming short. Here Christ knew it was short. He was very sorrowful, even unto death. And he said to them, Terry, hear you here and watch with me. When he says watch with me, he says stay awake. Stay here and watch. Stay awake and pray. Don't go to sleep. Because it's easy to fall asleep. That same night I was with that friend of mine. I feel what... Uh, Peter and the sons of Zebedee were doing. You were tired. You've been up all day. I'd worked all day long. I got up at 6 in the morning. And this was 12 o'clock at night. And I was tired. Just like they were. And they, Christ said, stay awake. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, Father, if it be possible. His question was, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Christ was compliant. He knew he was going to go through that. 
He said, if it's possible, I don't want to do it. And, and we'd be the same way, wouldn't we? If it's possible to get out of it, maybe there's a way to get out of it. But he said, nevertheless, you will be doing Christ is saying here that I am totally and completely committed to this. And he came unto his disciples, and finding them asleep, and said unto Peter, Would you not watch or stay awake with me for one hour? Just an hour stay awake. Watch and pray that you enter, that you, uh, enter not into temptation. But the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. For us, our flesh is weak, just like these apostles. And it was for me too, when Bill was praying and, and wanting someone to stay there with him, to stay awake. But our flesh is weak. And we find that we are complying with what we're supposed to do, but we're not totally committed to what we're supposed to do. And then notice here, and he went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O oh, Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, your will be done. Christ is saying, I am completely committed to doing what you want me to do. Completely committed to what you want me to do. In 1 Peter 3, it tells us that we should be able to be so committed with what God has given to us that we can answer anybody of the hope that lies within. Can we do that? Can we answer that? Can we show that commitment? I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here. Uh, what if someone would come to you and say, tell me why you keep the calendar? Well, we keep the calendar because we feel it is our duty. And for years we followed the Jewish calendar and we were compliant with it, kept the feast just like they did. And now we find that maybe it's, we made a mistake. And so now we're complying with the new teaching that God has gave to us and how to keep the calendar. But are we so committed to that that you would have no difficulty explaining to someone else why you keep the calendar that way? What if you were asked to give a test right down on paper? This is why, and I know it, and I do it because God has shown me that way, and I'm doing it because that's what he wants. Can you do that? What about with Passover? Foot washing before, foot washing after. I've heard people say, well, when Daryl studies it, <laughs> you know, are you going to comply with what God is teaching, or are you committed to doing it because you have ate of Christ, like Terry was pointing out, like Christ pointed out. He is the bread of life. Are we complying with what is being added to us? You know, we've had sermons about uh, eating properly. Do we comply with that? Or are we totally committed to it? 
Are we committed to what God is teaching us? Take the act of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. Stephen is brought in front of these scribes and Pharisees and the heads of the of the government at that time. And he built them up, the first part. He told them about their history, the history of, of Israel up to this point in time. He finally got down to the point and said, you know, you people are not what you think you are. In verse 59, 7 verse 59, we're going to cover these two verses here. You know, they took Stephen out because he told them in 54, and they, they heard these things were cut to their heart because he told them what they were doing, that they were following, they were complying with the law, but they were not committed to God's law. They were not committed to doing what God had said they ought to do. And there in 59, he said, in, as they stoned Stephen, Stephen was being put to death because he told them that they needed to change their way of life and start following and being committed to God. And as they stoned Stephen, Stephen calling upon God, saying, Lord, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Can you do that? Are you that committed to what God has been feeding you that you would look out at people if you were brought in front of a, a jury today? And the jury came back and said, you're guilty. You're guilty of keeping the Sabbath. You're guilty of keeping the Passover. You're guilty of following God's law. Would you look out there as they were putting that needle in your arm or strapping you to the electric chair or, or maybe whatever their means of death was, look up to heaven and say, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. That is a level of commitment that is very difficult. But that is what God wants from us. He wants us so committed that we trust him in every area of our life. Matthew 25. I know we know this. This is one we go over many, many times. Matthew 25. But look at another little light here. Matthew 25, verse 1. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. These ten virgins were complying with what they had to do. They had to take their lamps and go out and meet the bridegroom. But five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps because they complied with what they were told to do. Sit in Sabbath services. Keep the feast. Don't badmouth your brethren. They complied with those things, but they took no oil with them. 
They didn't continue to go on beyond because they complied with it, but it wasn't internalized. But the wise took oil in their vessels with them. So here's those that not only complied, but they ate it and ate it and lived by it, and it was internalized in their life. They complied, but they were totally committed to it. And that's what God's asking us to do. We can sit here, we can hear sermons, and we can go out there and say, hey, man, Daryl really let us have it today, and go home, and work the next week, and do our thing, and come back the next week, or we can eat it and say, God expects more out of me than just to be a complier. He wants me to be, he wants me to be active. He wants me to be vibrant and do all these things. He wants us to be like that grain of mustard seed, you know. He says, you only have to have a little faith. You ever look at a grain of mustard seed? It's not very big. It's just a little speck. But, you know, if we had, and and we are so internalized in what God is giving to us that we have that kind of faith, then we would be able to stand up and say, Hey, Father, forgive them, because they don't know what's going on. I do. You've showed me. I'm understanding what you give to me. It just takes that little bit of faith. It's complete faith. Complete faith. I've listened to a tape Daryl made, uh, not tape, but on the CD, and he, he gave a little story I thought was really interesting in this point. It was about the chicken and the cow. And here this farmer worked awful hard and things just seemed to be not going right for him. And the chicken said to the cow, why don't we do something special for the farmer? You know, why don't we do, make it really, really special for our farmer here? He said, I'll tell you what, why don't we have steak and eggs for breakfast? Well, that's great, the cow said, because you can comply with what we're doing, but I've got to be committed. <laughs> you can lay an egg and comply with giving the eggs first, but I've got to be totally committed. I've got to give my life. So we have to be that same way. We've got to be more than the chicken. We've got to be completely committed in every aspect of our life. In 1 Peter uh, 1, 1 Peter 1, let's see, I think it's where I want. Um, well, here he's. he's that wasn't what I've got written down, but, but as he which has called you is holy, so be you holy in all manner of conversation. So here we have to become completely committed even in the things that we think. What I have, and, and what I referred to a little earlier, was there in First Peter um, 3, verse 15, and be you sanct- uh, but sanctify the Lord in your heart and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks the hope of the, or the reason of hope in you with meekness and with fear. 
So we have to be so committed to this way of life, to the things you hear. You can comply with it. You can comply with, you know, eating good food now and then, but not all the way. You can be compliant by saying, I sit here and I want to help out and I'll serve in whatever way, but I don't know whether I can fully go along with everything. What happens? We move out here on this property. We're complying. We move here. We build a community. What happens if it goes another 10 or 20 years? I hope it don't. I don't know I could make it. <laughs> or anybody else. You know, or maybe the young people. Can we, and are we that committed? What God wants from us is he wants to know if you or he can trust you. God wants to know, can I trust you? Romans chapter 13. Can God trust me with what he gives to me? Romans chapter 13. Here we begin in verse 12. Romans chapter 13, verse 12. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. So we've got to look at what's going on in the world. We have to put the world out of us. The whole series on Babylon come out of Babylon. We're told to come out of Egypt. Egypt is a type of sin. Babylon is sin. Let us walk honestly as the day, not in rioting or drunkenness, not in clamoring or wanton, not in strife and envying, but put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provisions for the flesh. It's easy to put provisions for the flesh. Isn't that what Ananias and Sapphira did? They kept back part to provide for themselves and lied about it in doing so. And they paid a deep price for it to fulfill the lusts thereof. So you put provisions aside and think, yeah, I will comply, but I don't know if I'll make it all the way. Now think about Noah. God told Noah, I'm going to destroy the world. <laughs> In 120 years, I'm going to destroy the world. And think about Noah. He, at, at the age he was, he worked for 20 years. He didn't only comply by saying, okay, I'll build this craft, in which he did, but he was preaching the whole time, preaching to these people, change, repent. This little group that we have here, what do we preach? Repent, change, very same thing Mr. Armstrong, I remember saying back in the 80s, or in 79 and 80, get the church ready. Noah was telling the people, God's going to destroy the world. Now, can you imagine, you're out here in the desert like we are. We've got this washes coming down through it, and we've been here for almost two years, and we haven't seen any water run down in washes. And God says, build me a boat, and you're going to flood the whole place. And come on, we're 5,000 and some feet. You're going to flood the earth? I'm sure somewhere down the line, all the complaints... All the griping, 
all this stuff was attempting to get to Noah. But he was committed to doing what God gave him. And he was called a preacher of righteousness. In Hebrews 11, it tells you. Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet. They had never saw rain. They didn't know what a flood would be. He was warned of these things, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by which he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Noah was committed. He complied, but he was committed to doing that. He he put his whole effort and energy into doing that. And what are we doing today? God wants to know, can he trust you? If he gives you an assignment, can he trust you to do that? Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. All the commandments which I command you this day shall you observe to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord your God swore to your fathers. He gave them commandments. He said, do them. Follow my commandments. And you shall remember all the ways of the Lord your God. Uh, the Lord your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to prove you to know what was your heart and whether you would keep his commandments or not. God tells us to do things sometimes and we think, man, is that really what I want to do? But God gives these things to find out, will we obey him? He wants to humble us. He wants us to come to him. When they were in the wilderness, what was he... What did they do? I was thinking this this morning. Right here. Here we are. Power goes out. Bill and I were talking about this yesterday. What's the one thing we need? Water. You know? We can get up and go to, uh, up with the sun and go to bed with the sun and put candles out. But you can't live without water. So one of the things that God did to Israel is say, do you love me? Are you committed and I'm going to show you, I will give you these things as what? He gave them water. He gave them water to drink. They still complained. The next thing you need is food, and he gave them food. But you have to be committed. You can comply, Israel did, and everyone 21 years and older died too because they didn't and were not com completely committed to what God had given them to do. And he humbled you and suffered you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you knew not. Neither did your fathers know that he might make you to know that man does not live by bread only, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord does man live. He wanted them to realize that there is no other God. First commandment. 
No other gods before me. There isn't any God. Today, this country has all kinds of gods. They had the greatest holy day of this country. It was last Sunday, Super Sunday, you know. And they watched their gladiators out there warring and fighting, and they've got their gods out there. But there is no other god. What is it that man makes that can help him and feed him? Well, we can make a, a, a big, vast computer, computer, but unless somebody's supplying power to it, that computer can't do anything. But God can. He can give you what you need. He goes on to say that, you know, their, their clothes didn't wax old. He was showing them that there isn't any God. They witnessed the destruction of Egypt. And all the gods of Egypt could not save the Egyptian people. But God saved his people. He gave them that knowledge and that protection and that understanding. Deuteronomy chapter 13. Deuteronomy 13, verse 1. If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and gives you a sign or a wonder, and that sign or that wonder comes to pass, whereof he speaks unto you, saying, Let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not hearken unto the word of that prophet. You have to analyze it. You have to see what they're saying. Several of us here have been in an organization where a prophet made certain comments. But God's telling us, don't listen. Don't go after other gods because I'm the only God that there is. For the Lord your God, let's see, you shall not, uh, in verse 3, and uh, you shall not hearken unto the words of that prophet or the dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God proves you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. He wants a total commitment. He allows those things. He allows that to happen. But he's telling you it's on you to prove all things. Not on the ministry, not on your husband or your wife. He expects you to prove it to your to your satisfaction and be completely to become completely committed. And you uh, you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice. And you shall serve Him and cleave to Him. So here we're told that we've got to stay completely committed to God. If it does take a miracle, what miracle would you put in your mind that would say, oh, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm complying with all these things. I sit here, I listen on the radio, on the telephone, I do all these things. What miracle would you want to see to say, okay, now I'm committed. Would it have to be see someone healed? Would it take a miraculous healing and say, okay, now I'm committed? But what if it, they didn't get healed? 
We prayed for Bill, and he wasn't healed. He died. And people became discouraged. I remember back in 60, 1964 when we were baptized, we were told Christ can return in 72. Well, 72 came, and 72 passed, and Christ didn't come. And several people left. 75, we had a book, 1975 in Prophecy. And all these miraculous things were going to happen. They didn't happen. Dr. Dorothy said, well, it'd be more like 82 or 86. Well, 82 and 86 come by. Christ didn't return. Many people became discouraged and, and walked away. Those are the people that are complying. But if you're committed, then it won't make any difference, will it? If you're totally committed to it, if it's another 20, 30 years down the line, if God wants you to be alive, he can do it. I don't know whether I'd want to live that long or not, but, you know, as you'll get older and you get all these aches and pains. But if it's that God's will, then it's God's will. Will we come out here to this piece of property and things won't happen this year or next? We're going to sit back and say, hey, I don't know. I did what I was told to do, but I don't know. Maybe it's not right. Or are you so committed you're going for the long haul? You're going for the long haul, whatever it takes. Because God said here in Deuteronomy, he's going to prove whether you're going to obey him and follow him and do what he wants you to do. So are we going to stay with it? How do you know that God even wants you? I was thinking of myself back with NASA, uh, National Aeronautics and Space Administration, NASA. And uh, I worked, and I believed at the time that if I made myself valuable to the people, they wouldn't get rid of me. I think if we make ourselves valuable to God by obeying him and, and doing what's right, he won't get rid of you either. Numbers chapter 32. Numbers 32. We need to make ourselves, work at making ourselves, where God really says, hey, these are my people. Numbers 32, verse 6. And Moses said to the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war, and shall you sit here? <laughs> the people of Gad and Reuben are going to stay on their side. They're going to go out and help their brethren. And therefore... Discourage you the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord has given them? They said, don't do that. Because it discourages other people. So there are those that were there that, hey, we've got our place. I'm going to do my thing. Why should I go over and help the other people? He discourages them. And thus says, and thus did your fathers when they sent them uh, to uh, Kiddush Bar, well, anyway, to, to see the land. And he sent them out to explore the land of Canaan. What happened? 
He goes on to point it out. What did they do? They come back, fabulous land. Look at all this food. And the, it's really a land full of milk and honey. But there's giants up there, and these are well-armed people. We can't beat them. Well, I guess we forgot he destroyed Egypt. We forgot that coming through the Red Sea, we were standing on the banks looking back at the Egyptian army in front of this Red Sea and that water collapsed on top. And we forgot all about that. But you can't help us to take over this land. He pointed out here that they, the, the ten of the twelve men that went up there to explore the land, discouraged the nation. They discouraged their families from doing what God wanted to. And yet Joshua and Caleb, they tried to encourage them. They made themselves where that God said, okay, be that way. But none of you from 21 up are going to go into the land except for Joshua and Caleb. They made themselves valuable to God. Look at Revelation, Revelation 14. We need to become valuable to our Father. We do that through our obedience and following and doing what's right and just in His sight. Revelation 8, uh, 14, verse 4. These are they which were not defiled of women. They made sure that they were honest and above board and loving God, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb wheresoever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. Talking about those that are completely committed to God. They are then becoming valuable in each one of us. If we will do our part, we'll be valuable to God. And he'll give us a place. Too often we find ourselves walking, or rather talking, the talk. We talk a good Christian life. I knew a man back in Houston that could quote scriptures left and right. He could talk a good talk. But in reality, he didn't walk that way. So not only does God want us to be complying, to talk that talk, but he wants us to walk the same walk, the walk that Christ walked. He wants it internalized in our life. He wants us totally, completely, 100% committed to doing what he's given us to do. You know, there's two ways of life. Mr. Armstrong used to preach that all the time. Ever since I've been listening, I guess the first time I heard him was in sometime in the early 40s or mid-40s. And then in 62, hearing Mr. Armstrong, he always spoke on two ways of life. Two ways to live. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Two distinct ways. Mr. Armstrong spoke of that all the time. 
emphasizing it over and over and over, people thought, not again. We've heard that. But God must have wanted us to hear and, and internalize that, that two ways of life. Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. See, I have set before you this day life and good, God's way, and death and evil, following Satan. He wants us to do that. He wants us to make a choice. You know, we can't sit back and say, well, somebody else can teach and show me and do all the studying and understand and completely grasp it. I mean, I'd have no difficulty, none of you would be to go over to Darrell and say, well, why do you keep the calendar that way? He would tell you because he lives that way. He would have a problem telling you why he keeps the Sabbath or the holy days or why he does what he does. Because he's committed. And I think to myself, Nelson, are you that committed that you have no difficulty in doing that? Matthew chapter 7. Christ said there's only there's two distinct ways. One way is easy to get into, but the other way it's not so easy. It takes complete commitment. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Matthew 7, 13. He said, Enter ye then at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that go therein, or make it that way. What happened to the church? Oh, it's easy. Just pray, pay, and stay. <laughs> Sit in the chair. <coughs> You come in, occupy the chair, fill the seats, give somebody someplace to speak to. Look at faces up there. You know, people are smiling or sleeping or whatever they're doing. But they're here, and that's what we need, warm bodies. And if you stay with us, brother and sister, you'll be in the kingdom. Well, that's not true. Christ said that's the easy way to sit here and comply with what I give you to do. You can do that. You can comply. That's the easy one. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. We've been preaching that for a long time. Many are called, and few are chosen. Well, over 150,000 people called in the Worldwide Church of God. Where are they today? The easy road leads to destruction. But the committed people will continue to go on. And all of us have to be, had been committed to a degree to be here today. Else we would have, when they said, oh, God is a blob. I mean, there's a trinity. <laughs> well, my wife thought that was that way. We were preaching that it was a big sponge. We'd all be absorbed up into him. <laughs> but that's not what it is. God is God. There is no other God. And the way to life is being completely committed to what you believe. Being able to stand up and say, hey, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, remember? Said, bow down and worship the idol, you're going into the furnace. He said, well, you know, our, our God can put the fire out if he wants. But if it doesn't make any difference, I am not bowing to your God. 
they had a grain of mustard seed, didn't they? That's all they needed. Just a little faith to believe that God would do what he said he would do. They were completely committed. In the Garden of Eden, think about that. God creates two people. Takes them in here and says, you can have everything here. Just look at what I'm giving you. You have no wants. And what happens? Satan comes by and says, ah, you know, hey, God's holding back something from that one tree right there. That is the answer. We've suffered from that. But he's not, like I brought out in that last sermon, he's not my problem. I'm my own problem. If I allow the deception to get to me, then I'm only being complying with what's brought out, and I'm not completely committed to what God's given to me. There was a song many years ago about the unfortunate man. And this guy saw this woman, beautiful woman, boy, he dated her, and, and he just fell in love with her. Oh, she was so beautiful and spectacular. So he married her. The wedding night, first thing she did, she washed her face. And he took a second second look. What is deception, brethren? What does Satan put out here in front of us? He put a, a false world out here in front of us. Television, movies, everything you see is false. When you take away the, the false deception, what do you have? Well, you got something I'm beginning to look at. Then she took off her hair. Now she's bald-headed. <laughs> and now he's really beginning to worry. When she took out her teeth, he started really trembling. She removed an eye and took off her leg and ran out screaming because now he saw who she really was. And what does God tell us about Satan? When the time comes we finally see who Satan is, you know, we're going to say, we follow Satan? Come on! If we're not committed to Christ, then what? We're following Satan. I forget where it was I was reading in now. It says, if we fail to, to do right, we succeed in doing what's wrong. If we fail to be totally, completely committed, we succeed in being just compliant. So where do we stand? What, what, is, what do we have to go by? Are we cozying up to the, as an unfortunate human being, to Satan? Because broad is the way that Satan offers us. An easy way of life. People when worldwide said, ah, you don't have to keep the Sabbath. I've heard people come to me and say, you know, I have never been so blessed. And since I don't keep the Sabbath, I'm really blessed. I mean, I've got all these jobs and I, you know, I make all this money and I'm just so happy. Broad is that way. But God is, remember, back in Deuteronomy, he said, I want to know whether you will really follow me. Because he doesn't want more Satans. He just doesn't want it. Why would you have 
give 40 billion people maybe eternal life and have 39 and a half billion people turn to become Satan's. And he don't want that. So God wants to know, if I give you eternal life, will you follow me? No matter what. And that is true commitment. Too often we want to make a, a we want to take the easy route. We want to make an end play. You know, like in a football game, you run around the end. Here God's got this way of life and it's narrow. Adam and Eve thought they could make it around the end. And we said, there are those that want to come in by the right gate and those that want to come in the other way. So they climb, they climb in the walls and try to come in through the windows. It's not the way. You can't do it. If you're just complying to what you're hearing and it's not coming from inside of you, then you're not going to make it. He won't have you there. Romans chapter 13. I might have already read part of this. Verse 10. Love, Romans 13, 10, Love works no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law of God. To be completely committed to God's way of life, you have to be like God. You have to love your neighbor as yourself. But you know, one of the things, unless we learn how to specifically and completely, without any reservation, love God, we will have a difficult time really loving our neighbor. Because God says, I am love. And unless we love God like he loves us, then we'll have a difficult time loving our neighbor. Because we all do something different than somebody else. And if you, you know, I love you as long as you do it my way. <laughs> if you want to do it my way, then maybe I won't love you quite so much. Let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. We need to love God above everything else. Ecclesiastes. Well, verse 13, let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. So we know this. This is something we probably memorized, whether we internalize it or not, but this is something we memorize. Let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole responsibility of mankind. Duty, responsibility, the way you live your life. To fear God and keep his commands. For God shall bring every work to judgment. You know, if we really understand that and think about that, God keeps a mental record of whatever. He's going to bring all your works to judgment. And every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil, he's going to bring it to judgment. He knows what's in your heart. And he wants to give you everything but if you're only here, if you're only doing as much as, or as least as possible to be complying, then what will happen when you face Christ in judgment? Because Christ is going to judge people. 
Ephesians chapter 4. Every work that you do, everything, every word you say, God will, is looking at it. And he is judging the church today. So today, he's judging what you're thinking and saying and doing. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 19. Who have been past feeding have given themselves over to us, the citizens, to works of uncleanness and greediness, but you have not so learned of Christ. People, mankind, live that way. They do all the things contrary to God, but you're not learning that of today of Christ. Christ doesn't do that. It so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth as is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversation of the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful loss. So here we're said we're to put off the way we used to live. And we get, have been getting over the past three years, tremendous amount of understanding and knowledge. And we've been told, put off the old man, the old person, and be renewed in the spirit in your mind. So we're to put off those things, not just to comply, but to put them out, to put them inside your life, inside your heart and mind and walk, and walk that walk. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. That's what we're going to be, putting on true holiness. Wherefore putting, uh, wherefore putting away lying, you know, do we falsify anything at all? So put aside all that. Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. We're a family. We're working to build a family, and we have to be completely committed to doing that. Once we become committed to being a family, and serving and helping and, you know, it's like Peter, uh, James said, if you see a brother make a mistake, and you go to the brother and say, hey, you made a mistake, it's a sin. And he turns around, what does he say? You saved somebody. You helped them. You brought them back toward Christ. Be you angry and sin not, and let not the sun go down on your wrath. Have you ever been angry at one another? And a mother, a father, a brother, sister, family member, and gone to bed and said, Ah, oh, well, that person needs to straighten up. Or are you willing to go to them, like Christ tells us, said, If a brother or sister has something against you, against you, whether you've done anything or not, says, Leave your sacrifice at the altar and reconcile with your brother, and then come back and make your offering. Well, what is our sacrifice? Hebrews 12.1 We are to be a living sacrifice. You know, Christ gave his blood. When the Levites killed the animals, they sprinkled some of the blood on the altar, on the ministry. 
and on the people. Christ's blood then comes and covers all of us. And if we're angry with a brother or sister and we don't reconcile, are we completely committed or are we complying by saying, okay, I forgive you and then go to bed? We would give place to the devil. Let him that steals or stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands the things which is good that he may have to give to him that needs. So you put aside for other people. You, you work for each other. You help each other. You, you pick each other up, is what he's saying. It's too easy to put people down. I'm great. I'm good. I can do all these things, and I'm, I'm the best person around. You don't believe this? Ask me. <laughs> See? But that's a, a humanistic thing. I'm the greatest person around. But when you say, I want it, I need your help, go out and give the help. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of the edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. So whatever we say, it should be to build people up. Are we committed to that point that we want to build others up? I know I have a difficulty maybe sometimes. A lot of times, maybe. But we should be edifying each other. We should be building each other up and helping and you know, working toward becoming one great big family under Christ. And give not the Holy Spirit of God whereby, or grieve not rather, the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you were sealed unto the day of redemption. God gives us his Spirit. Only gives us an earnest of it. He gives us just that much of the Spirit that we can understand and grow. We're to build faith, but he only gives us a little bit of the Spirit. You know, I think it's 2 Corinthians 5, 5, says he gives us the earnest of his Spirit. And that's what he gives to us. And everybody gets the same earnest. And Daryl has gotten more of God's Spirit than you have. No, well, I have no more spirit than you have, but we all have the same spirit. That earnest is what we do with what God gives to us. Remember the parable where Christ uh, said he hired this, this man, hired people early in the morning. He said, I'm going to pay you a penny for today. And at noon, or at uh, 10 o'clock, he hired some more for a penny at noon. And finally, about 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock, when it's just about time to quit, he hired some more people. And what he did, he gave them all the same thing. He gave them one penny. God gives to all of us that earnest. What we do with it then becomes the biggest thing. If you are internalizing God's way of life, if you live that way, and that's, the, that's your way of life, and you're going to do that, that you'll get up there and say, forgive them, Forgive them because they're not aware of what's going on. Forgive your neighbor. Forgive your friends. Forgive your enemies, Christ said. They ask your coat, give them your cloak also. Ask you to go a mile, go too. Are we internalizing what God's given to us? 
and let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking but be put away from you with all malice. Everything. He said, get all of the things that will tear you down or tear someone else down, get rid of all that. And be kind one to another. That's difficult sometimes. Being kind. I know I have to work on that myself. Tender hearted. It's easy to be sharp. It's easy to be hard and crawl down on people, but being kind and tender hearted is something else. Forgiving one another even as Christ, or even as God for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Christ did nothing wrong. But God loved you so much that he sacrificed Jesus Christ for you. He sacrificed him for me. And that's the way we should be for our brothers and sisters in Christ. To be tender-hearted, forgiving, helping, sharing, but being completely committed to what God's given us to do. Completely committed. God wants us to have a good, strong, healthy body. Are we committed to doing that? He wants us to be healthy and strong. He wants us to live right. Are we committed to doing that same thing? Colossians chapter 3. Now we've got a couple more scriptures. Got a lot more, but like Daryl said, I can cut I can use it next time. Colossians chapter 3. Verse 6. Colossians 3, 6. For which things sake, the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience. Because, let's go back, let's go back up to first, verse 1. If you then be raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. If, he said, you be raised with Christ. Internalizing what you see and getting from Christ. Set your affection on things above, on what God has to offer to you. Set your affection on things above, not on things on this earth. It's too easy to say, I need a new house, a new car, I need a better job, I need more money, I want, you know, I need more food, I need more clothes. You know, we can set our affection and strive to get those things, but he said, don't do that. For you are dead, and your life is hid in Christ, in God, with Christ in God. We are dead to the world. God still wants to know, will you follow me? No matter what the, the line is, are you going to follow me? Are you going to do and completely follow me? When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Mortify kill, destroy, do away with, therefore, your members which are open, are upon the earth, which, what does he say to the Lord? What does he say to get rid of? Fornication, uncleanness, inordinance, affections, evil, concupiscence, uh, covetousness, which is idolatry. So here we find that the last commandment, coveting, is idolatry. There is only one God. Covetry is idolatry. 
for which things sake the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience. So get rid of that, because God's going to bring his wrath on this earth and on people because that's what they're doing. In the which you also walk sometimes when you live in them. But now you are also puffed, uh, put off, but now you also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filth, filthy communications out of your mouth. Clean up your act. Clean up your life. It's hard. If you're a person working out there in the world, it's hard. I worked in construction sometimes. And it's hard in construction because most of those people, they have a very limited vocabulary. And it's hard to keep your mind straight. It's hard around December to keep your mind focused on Christ unless you stay away from the world. It's hard to do those things. Place here. Um, verse nine. Let uh, lie not one to another. Don't don't try to make yourself look good to your brothers and sisters. And that's what lying is. You lie. You make one lie, and then you make another lie. And you make another lie. And you make another lie. And always trying to build yourself up. To me. I'm really a good person. But once you tell one story, it's tough to get back to the straight point. So lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with its deeds. So you're going to put those things away. And put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Knowledge of God. That's what we're to put on internalizing God in our life, where, uh, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian or Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is in all, in all in all. Christ is in all of us. No matter what our background of nationality might be, he's in all of us. If we put Christ on, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy, beloved bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. Hard to do sometimes. Hard to do, forgive other people. If any man have a quarrel against any, even Christ, as even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. So no matter what this difficulty is, think back. I'm guilty. If I drive down the road and go 75 in a 30 mile an hour zone and get caught, the next time I'm driving down the road, I'm going uh, 70 in a 65 mile an hour zone and I get pulled over. Do I argue with the guy? No, I'm guilty. <laughs> Somewhere down the line, I was guilty. Christ says we're all guilty, that we should forgive one another, even as Christ forgave us. And above all things, put on love. God is love. Put on Christ, which is the bond of perfectness. That's what to put on, love. 
We want to be like Christ. We need to be like Christ. We need to live the way Christ lived. We need to walk the way Christ walked. It's easy to talk. It's easy to be up there and round people and, you know, and preach and teach and go into the world and tell everybody all things. But do you live that way? That's where it's hard. Christ tells us, you're known by your fruit. He looks at you and he knows the way you are. You're known by the way you live. Earl Nightingale said, and it's, Christ has said that same thing, that you do what you think. You know, Christ said, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. The way you think, the way you do, the way you... Uh, in your mind is what will eventually come out of who you are. You are what's inside your heart. So as I pointed out in the last sermon, you're your own greatest enemy. And until you clean that up, it's going to be very difficult. Are we here because God says to keep the Sabbath? Are we here in this time because God says, that's where I want you to be. Do we keep the holy days? Do we do and keep the calendar because God says you've got to do that? Or do we do it because that's our way of life? We need to think about that. Ask yourself, am I complying to the law Am I complying to what God has told me? Am I complying with the sermons? Or do I really and completely committed to this way of life? If I'm committed, it doesn't make any difference whether they throw you in the fire or shoot you. You won't, you will not bow down to their idols. We can comply or we can be committed and completely committed to this way of life. So let's all of us be committed completely wholeheartedly.